Welcome to Untangling Christianity, episode 54. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. We hope you'll come along for the conversation, and you can be part of that conversation by leaving comments at the website, untanglingchristianity.com slash 54. I'm John Polstrup. And I'm Greg Monteith. So in episode 50, I, I mentioned uh, shiny object syndrome a little bit. I don't know if I'm having another case of that or if uh, things just ebb and flow and we just ride the wave. So I came across a couple things this week I thought were, I don't know, they feel like links to other things we've been talking about and they were, well, this one article in particular was kind of pushed some of my buttons. So I'll just kind of throw out what I got. All right. What was the article? Well, the, okay. So first of all, I graduated from Biola University, a Christian college, university, whatever you want to call it. Uh, mm-hmm. Some time ago, I get the alumni magazine and... I find the magazine to be kind of a mixed bag. Sometimes it has somewhat uh, helpful, insightful articles, and other times, like this one, this one was an extreme head-scratcher. I, I did like the smoking Bible at the top, though. No, that's dust. Oh, she's blowing the <laughs> dust off. Oh. <laughs> so, okay. I so, thought it was smoking. <laughs> I thought it was so, you know, kind of relevant and important that it was kind of sizzling in this person's fingers as I, she was holding well, I don't it. know. It's kind of hard to... I'm looking at the print version. I think it's she's blowing the... I think it's a she is blowing the dust off. So she's so, got nail, red nail polish. I think it's a she. Yeah. Okay. Kind of racking my brain to try to characterize uh, the Christian perspective that Biola is coming from. I, I think I'll just leave it that I would put it more in the conservative, but not mm. like ultra conservative. I think in some of its early days it was. Based on my experience there and what I know of it since, I would never, I would definitely not consider characterize it as as liberal. I guess conservative is more where I'd place it. Anyway, right. The title article that caught my eye was the crisis of biblical illiteracy, and this article is by Kenneth Birding or Bearding. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. Uh, Bearding is a professor of New Testament at Biola's Talbot School of Theology. He he holds a Ph.D. in hermeneutics and biblical interpretation from Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia. Hmm. So I thought hermeneutics, biblical interpretation. Oh, this could be interesting. It was. How'd it go? (laughs) 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 Well, I was like, okay, this is the cover article of the magazine. It. I'm sure there will be some good stuff here. And it I just had to say there wasn't. It felt to me more like just a, a drama piece. So the, the the title is The Crisis of Biblical Illiteracy and What We Can Do About It. Now, at work, we call this link bait, you know, or clickbait. You know, you have a controversial title to draw people in, gets their attention, and then, you know, hopefully they learn more about you or your product or you convince them that they need to have your product or buy your product or consume your message. Hmm. So it worked. I went to the article and so it it just presents a series of, well, a couple stories that seem, two or three of them that just seem really, really extreme and far-fetched in terms of 
ways of examples of how people either like this starts off with this person that ate nothing but chicken nuggets for 15 years and surprised she got sick and had to change her diet. And then other people that just had really extreme misunderstandings about different parts of the Bible and those used as examples of how illiterate people are today. I thought there was a good comment down uh, that this, I mean, I read this too after you, uh, you, you linked it to me. There's got to be like 35 comments here, 40 comments. One of them was really good and said, you know, I don't think these people are biblically illiterate. I think they're historically illiterate and maybe just maybe undereducated. So I thought that was an interesting point. How, how knowledgeable are they about other things that people around them are kind of generally aware of? That And that's where I wanted to go with it. This, it sparked a few different ideas for me. One, it, it seemed to me like the classic, and I'm, I'm going backwards a few episodes. Mm. I'm thinking of uh, 47 and 48, where we were talking about humility and a presentation by Kyle Edelman. Mm. I think 47 ended or 48 ended with you kind of commenting that, you know, we're prescribing a prescription for a cure, but we're not even really clear on what the problem is. And Mm -hmm. I wondered if that same theme wasn't in this article too, Mm -hmm. where it's kind of you lead with a topic that's loaded, that is assumed to have a clear, correct answer. In other words, how could biblical illiteracy be a good thing? Well, it can't, obviously. So we'll start with the presupposition that biblical illiteracy is a problem. Mm-hmm. Well, th- what's what's interesting about the article, which I thought was really disappointing, especially, so as I read this Biola magazine, there, there's often this undercurrent of um, intellectual rigor and, you know, obviously the, the magazine's wanting to produ- portray the university in the best light possible, mm-hmm. I'm assuming, to its alumni for donations and, um, you know, just also to represent itself well. Mm-hmm. But there was no, there was a, a vague reference to a Gallup poll that things are in, you know, that things have reached, quote, a record low. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, it was more, hey, there's a problem. And here's how to solve it. Or, well, mm-hmm. here's the problem and here's why we have a problem. And the there were really no solutions that I saw in terms of solving the problem. You'd, you'd also mentioned to me that, I mean, we had that, I mean, we talked about this a little earlier about, is that the problem that people aren't reading their Bibles or is that the symptom of a problem? Yes, 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 yes. So what I wonder in all this, I think this, this way of approaching things applies to a lot of different areas of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Author here is portraying the fact that you know, how did we get here? Has, there's a big subtitle of how did we get here? And and the three things that he lists, these are the, this is how we've reached uh, this epidemic level of biblical illiteracy. Mm-hmm. One is distractions. Two is misplaced priorities. Three mm-hmm. is unwarranted confidence. And four is the pretext of being too busy. So what I think, what I think what's interesting is they all... They're all individually based. It's all about some of like three of them are you're not managing your time well. Distractions, misplaced priorities, and being too busy. The third one, unwarranted overconfidence. 
didn't make a lot of sense to me. It was this idea that, well, he he also says that it doesn't make, it disturbs him. It doesn't, he doesn't say that it doesn't make sense to him, but it's the idea that, quote, we already know more of the Bible than we can put into practice anyway. I've never heard anybody say anything even remotely like that. I mean, yeah, I guess if someone told me that, I guess it would be, I guess it's disturbing to him because my guess is it's disturbing because they've stopped trying to apply the Bible or live according. I don't, I don't know. Well, I, I like your comment about, you know, three of the four of them. And in fact, the three of the four of them that we can relate to. And I think the, the, the overconfidence one, I mean, I, I, I'm still scratching my head over that. I, I just can't fathom that really. But, but the other three are easy and obvious. And I, I would think in certain situations, those are kind of, you know, problematic. But I like how you've drawn them all together as they're all just, they're personal, individualized kind of issues. Well, one of them, I guess where I want to go with this is, I feel like a, and granted, there's not a lot of room in an article like this to go deep, Hmm. but to me, you're just looking at potentially symptoms of the problem. Hmm. You're you're leading with, with what you're doing wrong and what you need to do to fix it, but what you're trying to fix may not be what's broken. In other words, in other words, the fact that there's, an epidemic of biblical illiteracy, if you agree with that, which I don't think I support it well at all here, but we'll set that aside. We'll assume that's true. It all comes down to people managing their time incorrectly and not trying hard enough mm, or having the yes. wrong priorities. Okay. And so I guess as I thought about it more, I mean, of course, I'll admit what kept drawing me into this article was that it totally triggered me and set me off. So this, this <laughs> the second the second reason is mispla- misplaced priorities and the classic setup list of, you know, it's it's like, you know, take this quiz, and if you answer all the questions, yes, you have a problem. So <laughs> I'm just going to quote here. With, and, it, and it ends in a resounding, horrible proof text, if you ask me. Let's grant for the sake of discussion that the exact balance of priorities will vary somewhat from person to person. Does this mean that we can weigh our priorities any way we want? Absolutely not. Quote, Meditating day and night, end quote, on God's word is something that everyone must do. It is basic to Christian life. It seems to me, then, that in any weighting of priorities, the following scenarios are out of bounds. More time watching television than reading, studying, memorizing God's word. More time on social networking sites than reading God's word. More time playing video games than reading God's word. Almost everyone I know spends more time on these activities than they do reading, studying, and memorizing the Bible. Shall we call this anything other than what it is? We don't like to talk about sin, but this is sin. James says, quote, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. James 4.17 We need a revival of the Bible, and many of us need to repent of our misplaced priorities. The question I have... (laughs) (laughs) wouldn't it be more valuable to take a big step back and say okay maybe the symptoms you're seeing are distraction misplaced priorities being too busy maybe maybe it's something a lot more complicated than that what are you thinking you're into you love to play video games and all the time all the time why are you playing video games all the time are you depressed? Uh, are they fun? Uh, are they Is it a great way for you to relax? Are you escaping something? 
are you i mean that's good. it could be anything social media uh, the internet, web surfing, you know, whatever, watching movies. I mean, it could be any any recre- any activity that's not reading the Bible, according to this guy. Yeah. I would want to say, okay, so are you bringing the hammer to the wrong situation? So hmm. I'm not being as clear as I want to be here. Um, <laughs> I, I think you're doing a really good job, though. I mean, that's really... Yeah, why why are people engaging in these things? If, you know, especially if you say that reading the Bible is a priority to you and uh you know, if it's not that it's not that you or maybe it is that there are issues, you know, there are issues with your Christianity. Do you, do you find it to be uncompelling, unsatisfying? Is it is it kind of uh doesn't it's not doesn't work, you know, and and part of the discussion I'll throw a couple things in from where I'm at here. So I'm, you know, geographically in Switzerland right now, geographically uh, at Labrie. And one of the big things I'm hearing is about people who aren't, uh, you know, um, they don't understand their Bible. You know, so that, that is one of the, the kind of themes that I'm hearing. And yet, and, or they're not kind of uh, spending time with it or uh, they don't have a good sense of understanding it. And yet, yeah, that is a problem. You know, so on the one hand, is it not working out for you? On the other hand, are, are you make, putting too much on that? You know, too much on, on your own feelings and your own views of it. But there's nothing of any of those questions here. You know, why are you, re- why are you playing video games? If something's not working with your, your faith, what do you think that's about? You know, there are no, no questions at all. So, I mean, it seems to me you're going in a really valuable direction. I just wonder if this is... And maybe this is what we've seen in other things that we've looked at. Maybe he's writing to a very specific audience that want to hear stuff like this and maybe need to hear stuff like this. For me, reading something like this, though, I say, okay, if someone just came to me and said, you know, you just need to read the Bible more. It's like, well, I think I need to clear some other stuff out of the way first before it Hmm. before that's going to be helpful for me and simply leading with the solution without fully understanding the underlying problem or what's holding me up. So, okay, so back to my video game example. If someone's playing video games around the clock because they are depressed or they feel really stuck in their lives, Maybe that's the place to start. Why am I stuck? Mm-hmm. Why am I depressed? Mm-hmm. Uh, how can I get help for this? How can I start to untangle the place that I'm stuck and start to chip away at being less stuck mm-hmm. and make some movement that way? The other thing that came to me that does not finally come back to me is is kind of the idea of if you really want to be in relationship with God and you really want to know God and the Bible really resonates with you, aren't you just going to read it? <laughs> like, yeah. Like, why <laughs> Why do we need all these things about distractions and priorities? And, uh, in other words, we all prioritize our, we, we prioritize things in our lives all day long, whether we realize it or not. And we prioritize those things for reasons based on certain motivations, I think. Mm. I guess the other way I would come at it or I'm thinking is, okay, so if 
if video games are more appealing than reading the Bible, why? Mm-hmm. Is the Bible not making any sense? Is it feel dead? Is mm-hmm. there, like me, a bunch of baggage from the past and a bunch of stuff tied to it which said, if you read your Bible and follow the formula of having a quiet time every day, your life will be awesome. God will be there and solve your problems. He'll be your best friend and things are going to be great. And those mm-hmm. days that you don't, things aren't going to go so hot. So make sure you you know don't miss a day and keep your quiet time streak alive. Mm-hmm. Well, it didn't work out for me. So yeah, the, just saying we'll just read the Bible and and yeah, I, I didn't really like his uh, point here about two. Um, you know, so what should we call? What should we call this? Anything other than what it is? Shall we call this anything other than what it is? We don't like to talk about sin, but this is sin. James says so. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. And I just thought, well, this is the author telling us what the right thing to do is. Yeah. You know, it's not, <laughs> it's not me, myself, knowing what's going on, having a sense of, you know, as you say, what the underlying issues might be. Why am I doing what I'm doing? You know, do I spend a lot of time on social networking sites because I'm away from my family for the first time? I'm off at university or I'm doing something that's very different from what I'm accustomed to doing. I, I'm working a different, sh- you know, uh, night shift. I can't connect with people. And this is my opportunity to do it. And so it, it's it's almost like, you know, this more than he's, I think he's just trying to make it a little too black and white. You know, if, if I got in, if I got in a good hour, a good hour of studying each week, I would find that really helpful. And I guess the other thing which I would put out as somebody who's, who's, got a, you know, the title on my master's degree says Master's of Arts in Theology. So, um, you know, I don't find that spending a lot of time memorizing stuff and, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to take away from that. Some people may find that very helpful, but I just want to put another perspective out there. That was one of the things that popped in my head that I wanted to ask you. Because I, I, there are some Christians that I know and respect that place a high value on on memorizing, and I was I was curious what your take is on that. Well, I, I guess you see for me the part of the problem is that, and again I don't want to sound discouraging to other people at all because I think that reading the, the reading the Bible, I mean as a Christian or as one who is seeking towards Christianity, that this is an important activity, right? And I, it's not just my, in other words, Christians uh, believe uh, very much in the aid and assistance of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, if you will, uh, who comes and in sort of enlivens and uh, informs us. Uh, that, however, does not mean that a Christian who uh, might very well be having the Spirit of God helping them with a passage is going to do better than, for example, someone who's not a Christian who's reading a very good commentary. Uh-uh. That's, it's not magic. God isn't magic, Right. Or uh, a Christian who's maybe 12 is going to do a better job reading it than a non-Christian who's 32. No, God's not giving you an extra brain and not giving you like a whole bunch of, I don't know, it's not like you got an extra bunch of file folders if we put it in like computer terms stuck in your head, right? It doesn't work like that. So on the one hand, I don't want to take away from it. I just want to say it's complicated how that kind of works. And then for me personally... I am not so much interested in memorizing pieces of Scripture as I am in doing research on big chunks and big themes in books. 
So when I'm when we're talking about the Gospels and we're talking about well, what, what is Jesus meaning when he's talking about take up his cross? What is he meaning, or what what kind of meaning can we take out of these these kind of uh, indications about um, you know whoever does not love me more than their mother or father, or you know your your mother and your brothers and sisters are here to see you? And Jesus pauses and said, "Whoa, who who are my mothers and brothers and sisters?" You know, so some of these things for me are much more important because they keep me. See, one of the things that I want to avoid is taking my understandings as somebody who is, and I'm, you know, I've done, I've got a freaking master's degree. It's not an exegesis. So I say that very clearly for those who are exegetes or who are more qualified in that area. And, and perhaps because of that, I'm aware that I need to go and I need to look for the expertise of exegetes. In other words, people, good people writing good commentaries. Well, what about people that would say, though, so for example, you know, the verse, take up your cross and deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me daily. Mm. I can I can hear someone saying, you know, I memorized that whole passage or I memorized the whole book and, you know, I was in this situation that was really difficult and that verse came to mind because I had memorized it and, you know, it motivated me to do the right thing and to, even though I didn't want to do it, I picked up my cross and, you know, did this difficult thing. And so they would consider the fact that they had memorized that scripture as, as valuable and helpful. And it'd be kind yeah. of hard to disagree with them. saying like, well, yeah, I guess that was a, that worked out well. That was a, that had benefits. Yeah. But I think you can also go the opposite way. So I think it's pretty tricky. In other words, you know, I could say that uh, during my graduate degree, I pushed through and I, if I was going to say the same thing, I could say I took up my cross. I did what I was supposed to do. I did my work. I worked hard. I had some of the highest accolades possible. Uh, and that was what I was supposed to do. Well, yes and no, because on the level of academic success or doing my job, particularly where I'm at a Christian college, you'd think, okay, God's kind of got an interest in that. God would like to see some some good work coming out of here that would promote <laughs> God's kingdom. I'm all on board with that, totally, 100%. But you know what? God's also interested in my family. And I ended up putting too much energy and too much effort and not being patient enough. It's not like I shouldn't have been striving for high marks because I've got the capacity of doing it. And there's value in what I've done that I think can influence in a positive direction both Christians towards a better conception of Christianity and non-Christians towards that, that same conception, I think, of Christianity. But I think if God was there, my take is... You know, if I was working off of that verse and saying, you know, I'm just going to pick up my cross and go to it, and, uh, you know, that's what helped me get through, well, maybe that also helped me neglect other things. Maybe because I was so focused on what I thought that verse meant in that context, without having a broader either self-understanding, a broader understanding of the biblical text, which might say, hey, you know, Greg, slow down a bit here, buddy. You're uh, kind of riding rough rod. You're, you're like you're shifting it into high gear and your family's kind of bumping along in this little wooden cart behind your Ferrari as you're zooming through this degree and they don't have any time with you. They can't connect with you. I think it can be a little bit tricky when you've got that idea of, you know, that, that verse. And some, I guess for me, I would say, I think God didn't want me to go as fast as I did. 
I think God wanted me to take it a little slower and would have wanted, and this is in retrospect, obviously. I mean, I, you know, I did what I, what I did and I paid the price for it in certain ways and I gained certain successes, but looking back on it, I think I was too hasty and I wouldn't have had anything. If I was just focusing on that one verse, if that was my kind of verse for how to go about my degree, I wouldn't have had any checks and balances within that one verse that I can see to make me stop and think again. So I think, I mean, I guess I would say that there's an entire canon. There's an entire Bible there. And as long as you're willing to allow that whatever verse you have coming to your mind could very well be as much as w- about what you want as about what God wants, then great. And as long as you're thinking that way, you might think to yourself, gee, I wonder if I should work back in the repertoire of verses I've memorized, or if I should spend a little more time talking to, I don't know, a, a friend I think is prudent or someone who's got an experience with this in the past and has done well in this type of area. As long as you're willing to bring in someone else to be an informer, to be a source of information and potentially critique, great. But if all you're doing is focusing on one Bible verse, even if you've memorized it and that's a good thing and it's whatever, you know, whatever version it is of the Bible, you risk misapplying it. Well, now as you're you're talking, I'm thinking as young as I can remember going to Sunday school and I mean, I remember memorizing verses and there's, yeah, there's this idea, this notion that memorization is, well, it's biblical and that it has, I guess I'm looking back at the article. And so this is the, to me, the classic setup is, you know, he talks about, quote, the Old Testament book of Psalms leads off with these words. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yieldeth fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Classic takeaway here is that we need to do the same thing. You know, uh, yeah, but John, I mean, I guess maybe I didn't read that part as clearly because... So on the one hand, sure, I think that's very biblical. On the other hand, you go into Jeremiah, say Jeremiah 31. Let me just flip there. Let me just, I'll just read a bunch of verses here, but just a, a couple. Well, very simply, Jeremiah, he, he gets down and he's characterizing what are the people in the new covenant to look like. The law is written upon the heart. So I'm no longer, in a certain sense, I'm no longer going outside of myself, but looking inside of myself. But the how, law is on my... But how can it get on your heart unless you memorize it? I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. It's Jeremiah 31, 30. So, uh, 33, pardon me. I'll just read the first the couple verses here, so you've got a, a sense of context. The days are coming. This is 31. So it's 31, 31. I'm going to read four verses. There are surely, the days are surely coming. This is from the NRSV. Says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, it will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel upon those days, after those days, pardon me, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer will they teach each other or say to each other, Know the Lord, 
for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. Now, I'm not suggesting (laughs) that this is implying that we do not read the Bible. No, and I want to be clear. I want to be clear in saying I'm not dissing memorizing the Bible or wanting to say that it's not valuable. I'm just kind of thinking out loud, I think, and processing and just saying, okay, yeah, I I just want to be clear on that. So continue. Well, I, I guess what I'm saying is, like, first of all, if we take this for what it's saying, for if we take these verses for what they're referring to, so blessed is the, the man or the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor da, 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 but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Literally, he's talking about the Torah. He's talking about the first five books. I think that is, can be extrapolated to the whole of the the Hebrew Bible, but the focus really is on the Torah, on the first five books. And so is he saying, is that, is that saying read everything, memorize everything, or memorize just some key parts, memorize some of the, these particular parts, know these. And I guess my sense is now as we talk about the law, and particularly when we put it in the context of what the new covenant is about, where God puts God's law within us and writes them writes it upon our hearts, that there's a sense in which it is our desire, it is already, what I take this to mean is two things. And the ones, one is, there's a sense of something within me, literally. I take that to be the Holy Spirit, who is working, who is acting, to um, further the right relationship that I have with God, by means of which my relationship with myself, my fellows, and the natural, natural world around me is, is, is made right. But secondly, I take this to mean that it is my chief desire to do what is right in my relationship with God. And again, with that knock-on effect to my relationship with myself, my fellows, and the world around me. I'm doing that, why? Because it is my desire. It's written upon my heart. It's not something that I'm, I'm intellectually assenting to. It is, but that's not its origin. Its origin is in my desire. And that, for me, comes back to that whole thing about loving God. So, in other words, I would see this as a problem of what's your relationship with God based on? You know, what role does love play? What role does truth play? Well, and that's, this is what, I feel like this is a, this is always a driving thing in evangelical Christianity, is, is looking for prescriptive things. Mm. So, following the Psalm 1, 1 through 3 that I quoted from the article, he continues, quote, and in another psalm, quote, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day. Psalm 119.97. Have you ever wondered how it could be his meditation? This is an awkward sentence. Let me start again. It is. Have you ever wondered how it could be his meditation all day? The psalmist didn't have a Bible on his smartphone. Did he carry around a big scroll under his arm? No, he had the No, he had memorized the passage he was meditating on and was thinking about them. He had committed large sections of the Bible to memory. And then he goes on with some tips on how to memorize the Bible. Well, (laughs) it's all prescriptive. Mm -hmm. So, where maybe the psalmist was like so in love with God that he just thought about God all the time. Yeah. And he says, how I love your law. Now, I guess I would be a little curious to know, well, what does that mean? Mm. 
I love the fact that you have lots of rules for my life. Like I kind of not <laughs> thinking so. So what? I mean, it'd be interesting to dig deeper into what. So it's just. So we we take this this idea that that the psalmist loves your quote. Oh, how I love your law! It is my meditation all day. And we say, oh, well, the psalmist loves God's law and he meditates all day. How did he do that? Well, he didn't have a smartphone, so he must have memorized it. So we need to memorize it too. Like, mm-hmm. uh, there's so many layers missing. So I, I don't know. I feel like that's the constant theme of this article, and maybe it's a jumping-off point to to move on to the other thing that I came across this week. And huge credit goes to listener Anna for a comment that she made way back. She mentioned in passing that she had been reading some commentaries by N.T. Wright. Mm. And you had mentioned him a couple times. I was like, oh, yeah, I don't know who that is. And okay. Well, she mentioned how helpful the set of commentaries that she had bought and used was. And so I started looking up. Somehow I started, I was on Amazon seeing what else he had written. Come to find out that my public library has like almost all, a ton of the books that he's written. Nice. So I picked up, it was even could get it in ebook, which was amazing to me. So. N.T. Wright, the book is Simply Jesus, quote, or I'm sorry, the book is Simply Jesus, and then the subtitle is A New Vision of Who He Was, What He Did, and Why He Matters, N.T. Wright. So I picked this book up, and I was like, well, or or actually I had reserved the electronic copy, and it came in, and of course I'm already reading like 10 other things, but of course I had to, <laughs> <laughs> back to the shiny object syndrome theme here, I started flipping through, I was like, well, I wonder... You know, this guy's really academic. I wonder if it's even going to be accessible to me and if I may even be able to read it. Well, the contrast that popped out of me after having read and immersed myself in the article that we've been discussing and thinking about uh, the humility sermon by Kyle Eidelman, mm. Wright's approach is just so different and so refreshing and so speaks to me and where I'm at and maybe... I kind of, as I was reading, I was like, you know, I would, I would put Greg in the same category. It's, it's like, in other words, so Wright is contending that there's a whole new way to look at Jesus. Well, that's, mm. you know, I'm sure there's tons of books that have been written on that. What I really appreciate about the book, and I'm only, I don't know, 40 pages in, he's laying all kinds of foundations and all kinds of backgrounds and, and laying out like, all kinds of different dynamics. Well, the one that I really appreciated in particular was how he lays out the kind of the Christian spectrum. The You've got the, the conservative side and the liberal side, and people from both sides kind of like to, to say he's on their side. Uh, yeah. And he ends up disappointing both of them. <laughs> and... That's kind of where I find myself as he as he describes the the conservative side. I'm just nodding my he- head, saying, "Yeah, I, that hasn't really worked for me either." I I don't subscribe to that. Neither do I subscribe to the the other extreme. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of charting this pathway through the middle. Not that there's a middle. I I, mean, I guess saying there's a middle almost. Or there's a third way? I don't know. But anyway, so I'm 40 pages into this. I don't know if we should end up going through the book chapter by chapter like we have in other books. But I just wanted to, well, I wanted to thank Anna for mentioning N.T. Wright. And I also just wanted to say that 
I came across this and it was just refreshingly different and refreshing. There was a refreshing amount of depth mm. and reflection and I'm going to, you know, kind of build, build this step by step and kind of lay out my case. And then you can kind of, the sense I get is I'm going to lay out my case and then you can either accept my case or not. Mm-hmm. And when I read articles like the one that I'm, we just read and the Eidelman service sermon we discussed in 47 and 48, I don't get that from them. What no. I get from them is here's the answer. Uh, in the case of Eidelman's message, if you want to be exalted, you need to be humble. We all want to be exalted, of course. It's understated. It's like what we all want, right? So be humble. And then in the case of this article, if you don't agree with my point of view, you're sinning. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> like, really, I mean, so I don't know. I guess the punchline of all this is if you want to be helpful, like, present the, the information and and help me make an informed decision. But don't mm-hmm. hit me over the head with a hammer <laughs> and tell me what yeah. the answer. Now, maybe that works for people, but it just does not work for me. Maybe that's what I'm trying to say here. No, and I think if it does work for somebody, I would just question, well, why? Why do you want it that way? I mean, you're, you're, you're responsible for your own decisions, your choices, and all this other sort of stuff. Why on earth would you want to be just spoon-fed some answers? I'm just going to point. I just went to the book on Amazon. You, you obviously, you know, you can do the look inside feature sometimes with some of these books, and as is typical, you cannot see the whole book. They want to sell you the book. They don't want you to be able to read it online. But you can get to uh, the end, and at the end, in a way that I think is different from what we've seen. I think with Idleman for sure. Um, yeah, and I, I would, I would just like to see this more often if people are kind of making strong cases. Um. For their perspectives, he's got a further reading section, you know, and he lists. I mean, this is wow. nice thing about you, right? <laughs> yeah. But, but he, now, granted, the, the top, the first paragraph are his books. But the thing is, I mean, he, he's written so many books, and they're great, great, great books. He's a, he's a he's an expert in this area. He's not just somebody writing like Kyle Eidelman, who happens to be a pastor, or whatever. He is perhaps the foremost exegete on some of these topics in the world and maybe ever. So, I mean, he's well within his rights to be putting his own books down, but he also gives you a list of other books you can take a look at, you know? And he gives you his his bibliography that he's used. I don't know, that just seems a little more um, honest. Anyway, I just want to throw that book out there if, if someone's looking for something new to read. Yeah, I'm 40 pages in, and I just am finding it very articulate, very refreshing, and something maybe worth considering. Yeah, well, you know, I I think maybe we should uh, maybe we should take a, a little dip into NT Wright. I mean, it would be I think quite opposite from what we're accustomed to reading. I think it'd be every page would be ooh, yeah, this was cool, and oh, I like that, and you know. Now, have you ever disagreed with him and all the stuff that you've read? No. Really? Nothing. No. no. Like on one hand, on the one hand, like to actually disagree with his exegesis would take a lot. So if you're looking at, say, the climax of the covenant, which is a very, very dense, detailed monograph, I don't have the, you know, I can follow along, 
but I can't, I don't have the skills to disagree. But even, even in the way that he's structured things and he's put them together, uh, it just makes so much more sense on, on a, on a, on a, a much larger level, say, than somebody who would be his antagonist. And I just mean that in a kind of a, his opponent, his opposite perspective, like John Piper. You know, and some of the stuff that Piper's put out, uh, it doesn't make sense on so many levels. Well, they got into it, too. They did. They did. And I think, uh, you know, it might be interesting to read the, the books going back and forth. Yeah, but, but ultimately... Yeah, and I think I think you found a couple essays by Piper that maybe we want to read. Maybe we want to read them side by side. Maybe we want to do a little bit of this simply Jesus, and do a little bit of a uh, little bit of Piper, and I don't know, a little salt and pepper, shake it up or something. <laughs> <laughs> see, where, see where we get. That could be interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Any wrap up closing thoughts on the article? Anti right, something else. Somewhere you think we should go next? Well, you know, maybe um, I, I know one. Uh, gee, somewhere I think we should go next. I mean, personally, I'm I'm doing a whole lot of focus on my uh, my thinking about experience and the experience of God and just what exactly is that. And I think over the next four weeks, I'm going to be um, making some big moves in that area, just in terms of really digging in and looking at some stuff. And then I think I'd really like to talk about that, uh, bring some of that out. Um, but no, I really appreciate you bringing this this article. I mean, and then making the comparison with N.T. Wright. I think that's really helpful. And uh, I would encourage readers to take a look at the article and just to take a look at, at N.T. Wright. He's, uh, he, he's, he's one of the top guys. He, he may be the most prolific Christian author so an author who's writing about Christianity from an evangelical perspective of all time. But he's not evangelical. Is I mean uh, he's he's Anglican. Yeah. Church of England. I think he's I think he's I think I he's, could be wrong he's what, his, his association there, but he's I would not say he's evangelical. Okay. Well, we I might could have be to wrong there. I mean, what, what's interesting to find that? <laughs> yeah, that, no that's a fair point. No, there's a recent article in Christianity Today about him. And you can huh. find part of the article online, and then I think you've got to register. And I came across it somewhere. I don't remember where it was. Yeah, and just, just to be clear, so the, the article in the Biola magazine, it was from the spring 2014 issue. There will be a link to it in the notes on the website. If you have thoughts, you know, be curious to get other opinions out there. So uh, the link to the article will be there. If you want to uh, read the article and bring another perspective, loved it. Love to uh, get some other ideas. Thanks for listening to the Untangling Christianity podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. So leave a comment on the website at untanglingchristianity.com slash 54. If you'd like to be notified by email when new episodes are released or other news, subscribe to our mailing list, also available in the right sidebar of the website. We welcome your questions, comments, or suggested future discussion topics by email. Send those to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. Music on this podcast is made possible by Kevin McLeod over at incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license. Tune in next week for a new episode.